Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and you have tuned into part two of a before and after journey. We are back with kindergarten teacher turned occupational therapist, Heather, who we last talked to at nearly 39 weeks into her pregnancy, and <laughs> she had been planning a home birth after cesarean, but found out the baby was breech. Her doctor offered only one option, which was scheduled cesarean before her due date, and then she interviewed a couple of other doctors who offered the option for vaginal breech birth and talked about how she really loved one of those docs and decided to go with him and then gushed endlessly about how awesome he is. Right now in the studio, we have both Heather and Dr. Awesome, who is wearing a cape and <laughs> also has appeared on several episodes of our podcast previously, including Breach 101, The Gentle Cesarean, and Preterm Labor. Heather and Dr. Emiliano Shabira, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> All right. So seriously, last time we left you, you, I mean, just to recap a teeny bit, you wanted to have like this all natural birth with your first baby. Mm -hmm. And then you had a funic presentation. Mm -hmm. What? Just remind us what that is. That um, The cords in front of the baby's face looking like it could prolapse if I went into labor. So the ultrasound picked that up at 36 weeks. She was head down, but the cord was she said down with the cord was in a, not a good place yeah it was it was covering my cervix and uh so doc is is there is there any way to deliver that safely vaginally um probably not it's and that's what your doctor said also based on the fact also he he saw it, her she, she was pressed against it so there wasn't like room that it looked like it was going to float away again the cord it looked like it was wedged. So yeah, and I mean that's a that's a very unusual circumstance. We really see very few funic presentations, and I, I think probably the explanation is her placenta is somewhere down in the lower half of the uterus, and the cord is attached to the placenta somewhere low down on the placenta. So the so the cord is actually attached somewhere down in the lower end of the uterus, and that's why. It's just all kind of bunching up down there. It's and, not going to move anywhere. Yeah, unlikely. Okay, so you had the option. Your docs really wanted you not to go into labor at at all costs. Like yeah. they were wanting to induce you as early as thirty six weeks. Yeah, the OB was said. I've never seen this before. I want to refer you to somebody. So I went to see an MFM, and he he goes, "Can you have a C section today?" Oh wow! And I said, "I have finals in a week." And he said, you can't go that long. He goes, I can give you till Tuesday. That was a Friday. So, and, and your OB had been your, your gynecologist since you were 12. Yeah. And, and so practicing for a long time. Y yes. And said, I've never seen this before. And his partner who delivered me, who's practicing even longer, had never seen it before. Wow. It's like 0.06%. Right. That's a really tiny percent. It's like a joke my husband and I have about our luck with things. Good Medical luck risk. And, yeah. <laughs> Whenever they say, "Oh, it's really unlikely to yeah. happen." Okay. Um, so you had a cesarean birth with that one, um, and also the way you described your cesarean birth was very you too. Like you wanted to be aware of everything. You couldn't feel a thing. You wanted to see it. They wouldn't let you see it. And your husband was standing by your shoulder, calling mm -hmm. the shots. Now they're cutting through this layer. Now they're cutting. and you just wanted to know as much as possible. And I wanted to see my baby. I heard her crying for a long time without actually seeing her. That was really hard. Right, I wanted they took her... her away from you to the other side. Yeah, of the room. I didn't get that gentle C-section. They talk about where they put the baby on you right away. They just, you know, quickly take her, and that was hard. We have talked about gentle cesarean with Dr. Shabira. There's a whole episode, in case you're curious, at home. Um, and then, so you said, okay, vaginal birth after cesarean. And even that was an easy, an easy decision for you. You went back and forth about the risks and the benefits of doing a VBAC, and somehow you landed on the fact that you are going to do it, and you're not going to do it at the hospital. You're going to do mm -hmm. it at, home, at, at a birthing center with a midwife. Mm -hmm. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Um, and your husband, who doesn't like change, uh, you know, you kind of had to like talk him through each of those steps. We, mm -hmm. you know, I want to do the VBAC and I want to do it at a birthing center. And he, he came on board. He did. Your Bradley husband coach. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, just when everybody was on board with the exciting new plan, Breach Baby. Yes. Frank Breach Baby. Yeah. And you did everything. You like stood upside down on your head. You did the chiropractic acupuncture massage, burned the funky stuff at your toes. Yep. Spent meditation. a ton of money. Lots of money. Talked to my baby. Said, 
invited my baby to turn, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And the, an ECV we tried too. Oh, right. you tried the external version? Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing. That baby did not want to turn. Mm-mm. So usually when, you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, obstetricians in this town who will support vaginal birth after cesarean. Mm-hmm. Very few who support vaginal breach delivery. What we didn't know at that time is would anybody support a vaginal breach after cesarean? Mm-hmm. Or a vaginal breach birth after cesarean? A back? I don't know what you call it. <laughs> yeah, my, my OB, he was totally on board for the V-back. Right. Um, and then... Was he on board for the home V-back? Oh, I didn't. didn't know. No, I didn't. T- I, I, every time I had an appointment, because I was still going to him for my checkups and stuff, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell him, and then I just, I just didn't want to see his reaction, <laughs> so I just, I chickened out on telling him that I wanted to do like a home slash birthing center birth. Because you were doing co-care. You were seeing him and a midwife yeah. at the same time, but he didn't know about that. And you right. were going to tell him. I was. Defense. You just never got a chance because he first told you, bridge baby. Yeah. And he said, no way. We're not. Do-. He, didn't, he, he said was, no ECV. He was so kind about it. No, I'm not saying in a bad oh, way. Okay, I'm okay. just saying from his <laughs> comfort zone. Yeah. His, his clinical opinion was um, we shouldn't do an ECV because of your previous cesarean. I think so. I don't remember that part. You have to listen to the the before episode. I think yeah. I think he did. <laughs> that's There's so um, so much that has gone <laughs> transpired. Past. Yes. Um. Yeah. I because of the that's right because of the the scar the the previous C section. There's he he thought the risk of doing the ECV would be too high for like some sort of uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. And then um, he said I had two choices this time. I could either schedule the C section. Right. Or wait to go into labor and then have the C-section. Oh, I thought he didn't even want you to do that. No, he did this time. He did because he said a lot because he knew how badly I wanted the vaginal birth. And he said sometimes women feel some sort of satisfaction if they're able to actually go into labor and feel the contractions before, you know, having the C-section. It's funny that you say that um, because we made a movie about vaginal birth after cesarean called Trial of Labor. And in doing interviews before and after that film with people who were – uh, on the VBAC journey, on their own VBAC journey. I originally, in my mind, never having given birth, um, I thought that if, you're, if you'd are if you like to go for a trial of labor after cesarean, the three, let's say, most common options would be that you labor and then give birth vaginally or that you labor and end up having a cesarean anyway or that you don't even try to just go for the, the scheduled repeat cesarean. And I thought the order of preference would be for – for most women, if they if they're entertaining VBAC, would be that they labor and give birth vaginally, and if not, that they just schedule a cesarean. And the worst case scenario is that you labor and then have a cesarean anyway. But here's something interesting that all, and it's not a very big group of women, but it's it's a significant number. Um, all of the women who had labor with their first baby and then a cesarean, and then just scheduled the cesarean the second time around with no labor. Um, all of the women that we interviewed s- did mention that it was really odd not to have labor and that they sort of wished they had the opportunity in retrospect to have some labor, maybe not even a lot, just some labor before the baby was born. Hmm. I can – I get that. That makes sense to me. And that's – maybe that's what your doctor was touching on, that that even if you end up um, having a cesarean because the baby's breached, that maybe you would want to labor first a little bit. Yeah. Is it um, – and, and – you know, there's different clinical opinions on everything, but Dr. Shavira, if, uh, obviously in your case, you didn't feel like having had a previous cesarean rules out automatically doing an external version. Yeah. So uh, I think this notion that if you do an external cephalic version that puts the mom at risk of tearing the scar open that's on the uterus, mm-hmm. theoretically that must be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are studies on this. Oh, really? <clears throat> um, external cephalic version in women with prior C-section. And they're fairly small studies. Uh, let us let me make up a number, maybe like 100 women, 130 women, something like that. That sounds like a great made-up number. Uh, but they um, did not have any cases of 
uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that it's impossible and there's zero risk, but it just means that the risk must be something lowish. Well, less than 1%. Yeah. If there were indeed 100. Yeah. And in the uh, American College of OBGYN guidelines on exter- external cephalic version, they, they, they get into that and they sort of say it's an unknown area, but it's not listed as a contraindication. Mm-hmm. So, um, are there contraindications to doing ECV? Um, th- that's a very interesting question because it's uh, the the answer uh, has been under evolution for a long, long time. It used to be that if you would read these guidelines by professional organizations, and that includes ACOG, which is the American one, and including professional organizations from around the world, there always used to be long lists of contraindications. And what has happened in recent years, if you track this, uh, people have start have started thinking, you know, maybe all these contraindications that we're citing, they're really just theoretical. And what is the evidence out there that that the that that these scenarios actually make the external cephalic version more dangerous? And so people have actually systematically looked at all these things and found that there's actually very little scientific evidence proving. That, that these historic contraindications actually increase the risk. And so when you look at the guidelines, you start to see that these long lists are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Hmm. One clear contraindication is anything that contraindicates vaginal birth. If you're not going to have a vaginal birth, there's no reason no to, do. to do any CV. So, for example, if you have a placenta previa, mm-hmm. uh, you, it wouldn't make any sense at all to do an external cephalic version. Uh, I did a C-section on a mom once who had a 12-centimeter fibroid tumor in her cervix. There was no way that baby oh, wow. was going to deliver vaginally. wouldn't make any sense to do an external cephalic What about version. if she had, like, uh, extreme rib pain from that head tucked underneath her rib cage? I don't think pain would be a contraindication to doing it. Not a contraindication, but, like, let's say she couldn't have a vaginal birth for some other reason but still wanted to get the head out from under her rib cage. Oh, I see. Um then See you're doing something that has no data behind it. There's no study of 100 women who had pain under the rib but right. otherwise couldn't deliver vaginally. And right. We tried an ECV. Right. Yeah, maybe we can write that study. <laughs> I had pain under my ribs. <laughs> but you could deliver vaginally. Perhaps. We don't know what happened yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so, so every, your doctor talked, Heather, your previous doctor talked about uh, risk tolerance. And I guess this is mm-hmm. where, you know, that's this kind of falls under that conversation uh, where, where doctors, I think, sometimes have to make uh, a decision with you or sometimes they make it for you um, based on risk tolerance, partially your risk tolerance, what kind of risks, medical risk you're willing to take for yourself and baby from, you know, on either side of two different choices about a decision you have to make, two or more choices, uh, but also for themselves, for uh, how much liability they want to take on. And I say all the time on here, risk to you, medical risk is not necessarily equal to risk to us, liability risk. Sometimes things are risky for a doctor that are not that risky for a patient, and the doctor doesn't want to do it anyway because he doesn't want to take that risk or she doesn't. All right. So, but you did, you, you did, uh, you switched over. In the end, because uh, so after deciding to do a vaginal birth after cesarean at home, then finding out that you're breached, then trying everything you could do to get that baby to turn, Mm -hmm. um, you decided to still go for a vaginal birth Mm -hmm. with your breech baby. Yeah. And I also I I tried to convince my OB. I kind of begged him because he he's done breech deliveries back in the day. Mm -hmm. And uh he really wanted to. I could. T- he he said if he if he were going to gamble, mm-hmm. he said probably ten out of ten times, I everything would this be will fine. Go great. He said I just can't put you at any sort of risk, and I have a feeling that also meant for him, like you were saying, the liability. He 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 talked about like the medical legal community was just not conducive. Yeah, and it's not for him. It wasn't about the VBAC. It was just about the breach. The breach. Even well, if it was your first baby. Maybe a combo breach VBAC. He had said if you had delivered vaginally before, he would mm-hmm. do the breach delivery. He would have done a breach VBAC if you had. No, no, no but I wouldn't have had a, a VBAC. Well, if it was your third baby. <laughs> oh. Well, here's the other thing he came back and said later, because I did maintain, I spoke on the phone with him several times after. He said, "Well, do you do you guys want to have more kids?" And and 
I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. He said, well, if I'd known that, if you want to have a third kid, then I'd be willing to do your breech delivery because the idea of having two C-sections would make it, I guess, more risky for He'd the He'd be third. willing to do your breech VBAC? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? That's interesting. But it was like on the phone after I'd already made my decision and told him my decision. So I don't know if – who knows? He could have said that to me in the office, but he had asked my husband and I in the office if we were going to have other kids. And my husband was like, nope. So uh-huh. he's like, OK, well, then we're doing, we're doing it this way. But yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was, it was interesting. So I'm, I'm going to take a diversion back to Dr. Shabir. In general, what are the risks of delivering a breech baby vaginally versus just doing a repeat cesarean? Or a cesarean in general? Yeah, so the risks of a vaginal breach delivery, um, I mean, it basically comes down to there can be injuries to the baby during childbirth in a very small percentage of cases. And those injuries can range from pretty mild things to, uh, in incredibly rare cases, very severe injuries. That don't happen to head down babies? Um, Actually, the same kind of injuries can happen to head down babies. Uh, it's just that the the rate may be a tiny bit higher for a baby that's being born breech compared to a baby that's being born head down. So, uh, for example, it's been calculated that that the risk of baby dying in childbirth, if the baby delivers breech, is about one in five hundred. Versus and, in and so the. Alternative would be to do the C-section, and the risk is about one in two thousand. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a significant time. reduction. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I think that's uh, sort of subjective. You know, what is significant? You know, four out of two thousand versus one out of two thousand. Uh, I think it falls on the individual to decide if they think that's a meaningful difference or not. It's a reduction. It's a reduction. That comes potentially with other costs, even like Heather was saying, if she's going to have more children, then right. the next pregnancy can easily be more complicated because of the previous cesarean or previous two cesareans. Right. Hmm. Um, are there ways to m- minimize those risks? Are there are there some pregnancies that are more likely to experience those risks with a vaginal birth than other ones? Uh, yeah. So there are lots of ways to reduce the risk. Um, one is to uh, ensure that you're delivering with an experienced provider. So I think in, in, you know, in Heather's story where she's talking about a practitioner who has been trained in breech birth and has done breech birth, that's a reasonable idea to entertain. When I talk to women who are, who are really wanting to do a vaginal breech birth, one of the things I say is that let's just imagine you end up in some hospital somewhere and you encounter a physician who maybe they're younger, maybe they've never done a breech birth, I really would not recommend trying it with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's definitely that makes, sense. makes it uh, a, a, a much more risky proposition. Um, there's one very interesting study uh, that came out of France and Belgium, which is a, a region where they uh, have continued to routinely offer vaginal breech birth to moms. And this study, what they did, was they just recorded outcomes for uh, a period of years, and they collected about 8,000 breech births. About 5,000 of the women opted for C-section. About 3,000 went for uh, the vaginal route. This particular study um, showed no difference in outcomes between the vaginal babies and the C-section babies. Well, that's interesting. It is very interesting. And one of the differences between this study and other studies is that they outlined in detail what their protocol was. So a lot of the breech birth uh, outcome studies, you kind of have no idea who was doing the delivery, what techniques they were using, what their criteria were. You sort of don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this study is different because they outlined that. and they So there were certain birth weight criteria, like uh, something between 2,500 grams and 4,000 grams. There were which is two, you know, two and a half kilos to four kilos. Uh, the, 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 the babies were a term. Um, it was either a frank breach or a complete breach presentation. So the butt um, was down. Uh, yeah, and they utilized um, ex, um, continuous fetal monitoring during hmm. labor. Um, so, you know, one, one thought is that if, if, if uh, 
you know, you're evaluating a mother and she sort of meets all those criteria, then you could say, well, this study was called Primota. You you sort of meet Primota criteria, and in that study, there was no margin, extra margin of safety from doing a C-section. Interesting. Another um, thing that I think makes birth uh, safe is that historically the way um, OB doctors were trained to do these breech births is with mom in what's called lithotomy position. So mm-hmm. she's laying on her back, maybe her head's propped up a little bit, but the feet are up in stirrups. Um, what a lot of the breech centers are doing now, particularly in Europe, is mom is on all fours. And so there are, number one, MRI studies where they took moms and they stuck them in an MRI machine in a squatting position. And what they discovered from those studies is actually just being in that position opens the pelvis by two centimeters. Wow. Which is a very significant clinical difference. Uh, Beyond that, there was a a study that came out of the breech birth center in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, where they compared breech births with mom on all fours to, to breech birth with mom on her back. And it turned out when mom was on all fours, the C-section rate was lower, that the maternal injury rate was lower, so big vaginal tears and, and so forth. You got less of those if mom was on all fours. Uh, the need to do special maneuvers to get the baby out was lower percentage if mom was on all fours. And the fetal injury rate was lower if mom was on all fours. So I think maternal positioning is another thing that can be done to um, make the breech birth safer. Um, when Heather came to you and she had both the desire to do a VBAC and to deliver her breech baby vaginally, do those two um, separate issues compound each other? In my mind, no. They're, they're two separate issues. And we spent a, a lot of time talking about VBAC. And then we spent a lot of time talking about uh, breech. But I don't really know in any way that one affects the other. Okay. So um, at the end of the day, you decided to go forward. You both decided to go forward with each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, the most, I'm, in my mind, I'm only picturing for your poor husband who doesn't like change, yeah. um, how it must have been to switch doctors, now not do a, a out-of-hospital birth, but go back and do a hospital birth to deliver a breech baby vaginally, and then also not even your OB in hospital, but a new OB in a new hospital. That was hard for him. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine it's hard. But you did say in the last episode, like, he, he doesn't love change, but at the end of the day, he likes when you just you just say, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. He is, comes around that way. Yeah. Is that what how it went down? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't tend to say this is what we're going to do, but I will say I, I really want this. And then he comes around to it. Yeah. And he usually pretty much with most things will say Okay, I'll support you. Or, and I know it may be in his mind he's maybe having some conflict, but he won't tell me about that. Well, even you were having some conflict. Oh yeah. Towards the very end. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break. Last time I saw you, um, you were literally I think thirty eight or thirty nine weeks, mm-hmm. and even like before the, <laughs> the podcast, I was getting text messages like hmm, having some contractions. Not sure what's going to happen. Maybe I'll see you tonight. Maybe I won't. Um, but then we got through our, our interview, and then some more time went by. Uh, let's take a little quick break, a little commercial break, and we're going to come right back with Heather and Dr. Shibira and find out how your birth went. Hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we're back with Dr. Emiliano Shavira and Heather, who is taking us on her journey through breach, vaginal birth, after cesarean. How often do you say that? Not very often. <laughs> so uh, what happens next? You didn't go into labor right away. Um, no, I did not. I, it's, it, My baby was taking his sweet time. Which is different than your first baby. Yeah. She had a very early cesarean scheduled and popped right out. She, my water beforehand. broke My water broke two days after the doctor was said cesarean. My like water 37 broke. weeks? Nope, 36, 36 and, and like and five days. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, and, so this baby went past 40. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Which is another thing. Sometimes OBs, like, they have a 40, just in general, 40-week uh, cutoff. Oh, baby's not out. We have to induce or cesarean. Yeah. How far past 40 did you go? I went to exactly 42. 42 weeks? To the day. Okay. Is there, is there a reason why doctors don't like to go past 40 weeks? Is 40 weeks the end date, the cutoff, the, the use-by date? Um, there, there's a reason and there's a rationale. But I think the, the absolutism... And the, um, the 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 sort of like fervor and anxiety over it is a little bit unwarranted. It's mm-hmm. out, it's out of proportion to really what the issue is. So, the issue is in in the last weeks of pregnancy. Um, every once in a while, you know, all of us who take care of pregnant women see this happen: the baby just suddenly passes away in utero. Mm-hmm. So. You know, in in the life of a woman, in the life of a family, this is like one of the most horrific things that 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 can possibly happen. And uh, fortunately, it's a very very small number. Um, it is clear that as you start to get up to the due date and then past the due date, the risk of this event starts going up. But when you look at it numerically, um, the best studies on this. Um, say that if you're at about 40 weeks, it may be something like 0.5 per thousand. So that's going to be one out of 2,000 babies. And when you hit 42 weeks, that number has gone up to like a couple out of 1,000. Mm-hmm. So it, it is the risk definitely goes up. That's pretty clear. Nobody debates that. But the magnitude of this risk is is pretty small. So uh, Are there benefits to continuing to go? Uh, it's it really depends on the uh, perspective of the mother and mm-hmm. how much she values, um, you know, the notion of having spontaneous natural labor. Mm-hmm. Because the other alternative is to induce. Well, actually, in the in the case of Heather, we didn't have the option to induce because the hospital where I work has a policy actually that forbids inducing labor in breech babies. Mm-hmm. It's something that- What to about VBAX? That to me, with VBAX, it's okay. They induce VBAX? Well, they do not, but they, they don't, allow have, a poli- they, they don't have a policy against it. Okay, but not for breech But babies. for breech, there's a specific policy that, that, that prohibits it. So mm-hmm. if we were not going to continue waiting for uh, spontaneous labor, the only other option really was to do a C-section. Mm-hmm. Is there extra monitoring that happens after uh, 40 weeks? Are there signs that the baby's doing well or not doing well? The standard thing is uh, what's called antepartum testing. Um, And the most common test that's done is um, an NST or non-stress test. And you start with an ultrasound. You you check the amniotic fluid that's around the baby. Uh, If the amniotic fluid is normal, uh, that's presumably a positive indicator of fetal well-being. And then you connect the heart rate monitor to the baby and you listen to the heart rate and you sort of look at the pattern, whether the baby looks very active and has a normal um, heart rate and not having decelerations, which are events where the heart rate slows down uh, briefly for a few moments. Um, so if the NST is normal, there are some older studies that have have cited statistically your chances of having a fetal death in the next week is about one out of a thousand if you've got a normal NST. Mm-hmm. So it's a reassuring finding. And it's pretty standard uh, when you're what's called a late-term pregnancy, which means after 41 weeks, to start NSTs. And that's usually done twice weekly. Is that what you guys did? Mm-hmm. NSTs twice a week? And then look good because you went to 42 weeks. Can you ever go past 42 weeks? Sure. Uh, most... Um, 
most pregnancies that will not happen. There's very, very few women who are still pregnant by the time you hit 42, 42 weeks. So Heather is just a superstar in that way. <laughs> um, but sure, I, I mean, I've heard women tell me that they went to 44 weeks. Now, when I hear a story like that, I kind of think that maybe they're Calculation the dates of the off. dates yeah. were off. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for me to imagine that's that's possible. Um, In my practice, the most I've seen is forty two five. Yeah, forty two weeks and five days. Mm. And in fact, it was a woman from Israel who uh, she had two babies in Israel also after forty two weeks, forty two three, forty two four, and then here her doctor said no, we have to induce you at forty two weeks. Um, and so she just scheduled the induction, but she's got like this tough Israeli, you know, attitude. She knew she wasn't going to show up for it, uh, and she just waited a few more days. And at forty-two five, she went into labor. And also, she and her sister were born past forty-two weeks. Hmm. It's almost like the oven in that family is set to like three twenty-five instead of three fifty. Sure. I, I was breech and went past the due date, and my mom had a scheduled C-section. Right. We have the breech. We were both breech. That's why we get along so well. Yes. <laughs> were you breach? I was breach. You were? You were? I was born breach. I was born breach. Oh and my Heather gosh. Was born breach. It's a fact. Hold on one more time. <laughs> <laughs> if you can only see what was happening now. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so what happens at forty-two weeks? Oh my gosh, man! I could barely walk those last few days. And at 8.30 in the morning on, on day 42, or it was 42.1 or something, um, I started – mind you, weeks prior, I was sure I was going into labor. I told you I was feeling things, and I probably was feeling things, but, man, it took long. And so this morning, um, like 8.30 in the morning, I I started feeling some things that were regularly happening. And I, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think this is this is it. And it progressed pretty quickly. And I called I called Dr. Shavera. And he's like, well, we'll wait and see. And, you know, it could be, it could be, but it might not be. Mm-hmm. And um, I have just a quick question. Had you been, had you been checking your cervix up until then? So I, so I, I continued to see the midwife because she wanted to serve as my um, doula monotrice. Monotrice, yeah. Yeah, monotrice, yeah. Um, but I, I, she she had checked me once and said I was not dilated at all. And that was something I brought to Dr. Tavera also about um, should he check me to see if I was dilated. Mm-hmm. And you said, do you remember? Uh, I don't remember, but I I probably discouraged it and thought yeah. that it just wasn't that important. Yes. Yeah. But it doesn't tell you very much? and Right. Just it doesn't really have any predictive power, and that it could create anxiety if I wanted yeah, to be, be dilated right. and I wasn't, and introduce bacteria for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Okay, so you, you didn't you didn't know for sure. You no. Know. Okay. And um, and so how did things go after your? So I waited a couple hours. I talked on the phone with a couple people. Um, Are you feeling contractions? Is that that what's really happening? mild? But they were regular, and they okay. started to speed up. And so I called. The midwife, or the, my doula, and mm-hmm. she came over um, at around 11. In the morning. In the morning. So things started at 8.30. She came over about, I think it was like 10.30 or 11. She checked me, and I was three centimeters. Oh, wow. And, um, and you know, I, I just, things were getting intense. And then um, at around 11.30, 11.45, she had not been there long, she told my husband I think we should go. She goes you don't want to you don't want to be you know at your pushing stage in the car for your your breach birth. Breach feedback? Yeah, for your breach <laughs> feedback exactly. Breach car feedback? Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh how far were you from the hospital from where you live? Um you know, we got there pretty fast. I I actually kept a blindfold on cuz I didn't want to see traffic. Mm. Um I do that when I'm driving on the temporary too. <laughs> um, I, I I think we got there in 15. There's no traffic. Oh at wow, that time. that's really fast. Well, it was like noon, you know. Yeah, so we made it pretty quickly. And what happens at the hospital? Um, they put me in a wheelchair, wheeled me up to the room, and I mean, again, I kept this blindfold on. I still in the wheelchair. My whole thing was. See no evil. <laughs> well, 
I didn't want to feel any stress. I wanted to totally relax and open and not like clench up because I I watched a little of Ina Mae Gaskin who she mm-hmm. talks about breech birth and she talks about that 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 all fours position and opening the pelvis and that anxiety which sometimes can get you know women feel in a hospital setting um, why there may be you know like on the farm the Ina Mae Gaskin farm their their C section having to transfer care for to, to have a C section was so much lower than if you're actually laboring in a hospital mm-hmm. and. She's inclined to believe, and I kind of agree, that stress makes everything tense up. Oh, sure. I mean, so, it's we know that for a fact. It's yeah. the fight or flight response. It has a very predictable series of there responses you from your body and to stress. So she talked about the pupils, um, mm. something about like just first of all seeing the hospital and the fluorescent lights and stuff, but something about keeping um, the pupils open – just keeping everything open. I, I thought it was kind of interesting, but mm-hmm. it was something that, that they – and they suggested in hypnobirthing too. Oh, so you mean the darkness from the blindfold would keep yeah. your pupils dilated yeah. and maybe your cervix would dilate too. Maybe. You should put the blindfold on your cervix. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I tried. I just, hey, new yeah. Shark Tank product. <laughs> <laughs> now with Pam nonstick birthing spray. But I – but what is – and I think you were – I think you were in the room when they came up to they, they send anesthesia, even though I didn't want anesthesia, they still protocol, they send the anesthesiologist up to give you the just in case. And um, I was very much. You wanted to feel it. I wanted to feel it, but I also, I, I, I told everyone that came up to give me the protocol spiel. I decline. I decline mm-hmm. to hear it because I'm in labor. I didn't want to hear it. Okay. I'm in pain. And to hear things about do you understand that you, you know, your fetus risk of death? You have a risk of death. To you. I, who wants to hear that when they're in labor? So you needed uh, the earmuffs to yes. go with the eye mask. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> the I needed it all. I didn't want to hear any of it. Okay, just pause for one second, mm-hmm. Doc. At that hospital, is there anyone else who delivers breach? Yes, as a matter of fact, there is. So, mm-hmm. are, are, did they see it once in a while? Are they nervous about it? The nurses. I mean, um, there was. Every response from the the whole spectrum. So there to Heather specifically, or because you do other breaches there. Envy. No, actually, um, we went to a specific hospital where I don't do breaches. Oh, okay. And so it's unfamiliar there, and uh, but there but there are physicians on staff who are you know experienced providers who have done breaches who are not. uh, not fearful of it, uh, who offer it to other patients who walk in the door and labor um, breach. So there is some experience with it. On the other hand, in obstetrics in general, it's just such an uncommonly witnessed event that you have a huge number of people who've never seen a breech birth. Maybe their only experience with it is they've heard some horror story about it. Mm-hmm. And there's just uh, a lot of um, fear. And when a birth like this happens, pretty much everybody in the hospital finds out about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, everybody brings their own uh, feeling about it and their own reaction to it. And uh, so you, you, you get a little bit of everything from all angles. So the nurses not very familiar with it. Well, the the nurses who are working with me have worked with me at another hospital, actually. Oh, I see. And 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 they were okay. They were comfortable. And, you know, I think um, you know, in the room, we were able to create a very serene and peaceful environment. I think the the biggest fracture of that was from the anesthesiology department that wanted to come in and do their spiel. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm 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 in a, a kind of a difficult position because. Um, I'm trying to function as a sort of gatekeeper and keep all of the chaos and the noise outside the room so that inside it's peaceful and quiet and Heather can just do her thing. Um, and, and so there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm trying to block. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I need to interact with everybody and kind of keep them calm and address their concerns and try to put out fires and appease people. So I have to do this little dance of, you know, trying to let the hospital do its thing to a to enough of a degree where they can be okay. It's the 
but good, not yeah. make it so completely intrusive for Heather. So, you know, I, I, I let the anesthesiologist come through and Heather kind of took over and just stopped that process mm-hmm. and <laughs> sent them back out. Um, um, so... Did they want to do anesthesia because it was a breach, or they just like to do? No, there were two, there were two. There was anesthesiologist, and then there was a, a guy about maybe just the OR in general. The like I, I don't remember, but the the female, the woman who was the anesthesiologist, she was lovely. Mm-hmm. She was very like, I hope you never have to see me again. I know what your plan is, but I'm just letting you know in case. Yeah, I'm here. If you need, but there's a certain point you can't turn back. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember that, and then and then she when she went on, she, I think she even asked me if I wanted to hear the rest, like if I wanted to hear the risks, and I said no, I'm fine. And she was really gracious and lovely. And then a young guy, the second one who came in for some other sort of OR in case I need to see some, it was in case of something. He just ran, you know, ran off the list of, you know, it's not his fault, but. He just went down the list. You of, might die. Your baby might die. Your husband might die. Exactly. Might die. Everyone's gonna die. Right. It's you know, and I. That's where I just kind of cut him off, and I was like, I can't hear this. Yeah. I decline. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, the thing about anesthesiologists is, um, they are absolutely incredible physicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you, very often, they're the most knowledgeable person in the room when you're in the OR, mm-hmm. um, and they're very meticulous about safety protocols. And if you if you think about, you know, we have this problem in, in um, the administration of medical care. There's all these medical errors everywhere. Mm-hmm. The group of, of practitioners that have the lowest rate of errors is anesthesiologists. Interesting. They're incredibly, you know, meticulous about what they do. And so part of it is thinking ahead, preparing for emergencies, taking steps in advance. If there's somebody on the labor and delivery floor that... Uh, you know, may potentially need to go to the OR, they want to know in advance, is there some kind of medical or surgical history that I need to be aware of? Is this patient's airway normal that if I need Mm -hmm. to intubate, I'm going to have problems? Or is there something abnormal about her jaw that I'm going to need special equipment? And they want to put all those plans in place. So that, it's very hard to argue against that. Yeah, there's a practical benefit to it. Right. So, but the thing that... um, that would be ideal is if this could be done in advance. Uh, a couple of months ago. <laughs> so that when you're in labor, you can just labor right. and not yeah. have to deal with this stuff because yeah. re- because it's it's actually it's harmful for the labor process sure. to be doing it at that time. We just don't have systems in place to to, to handle it the way we right. should. Right, but ideally that's the best. You get the yeah. best of both worlds. They have all the data they need for safe delivery of uh, anesthesia should you need it, and then you don't have to be dealing with that while you're in labor. Yeah. Right. So how do things progress after that? I just remember it hurt real bad. <laughs> it was a hard labor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, my gosh. Wow. And fast. It just felt like just how could it get more intense? Um, but the nurse was lovely. I really liked my nurse. Um, it just progressed quickly. I I wanted to sit in the dark bathroom. I wanted to sit in the bottom of the shower. Um, no one wanted me to go in the shower, but I wanted to go in the shower, and then I was able to do that. Um, but you know, I couldn't with water or without water with water. I just wanted to like have the lights out and have water pour on me and, Mm -hmm. you know, and be left alone like a cat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know, people worry. And so I got like a little shower time, but I got a, you know, the, the doula uh, baby shower. That, cause I didn't have one. So that was my baby shower. shower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I just remember it happened fast. And I remember, interestingly, I, I was committed to doing this all force position, but that's the position I had to be in. I was most comfortable laboring in um, during every contraction. I couldn't I couldn't turn over. I just mm. couldn't. It, it hurt so bad. <laughs> Where were you feeling the pain? Oh, my, my uterus. This, the, it was... The, the cramping? The, the contractions. I just... I always wanted to know what it was like, and then I, there was a moment where and Dr. Shavira came in. He was sitting on the side, and I was like, okay, the next time this happens, I'm going to ask for an epidural. But then it would pass, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say it out loud. I'm not going to say it. But I started calling out Dr. Shavira's name. Dr. Shavira, are you back there? Are you back there? Is it okay? How much longer? <laughs> I can't tell you that. And How you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Are you being monitored at that point? I I had either 
I think I had on and off monitoring. Uh, what's it? Intermittent. Intermittent monitoring. Yeah, we were doing intermittent monitoring. And as we got closer to the birth, she just had the monitor strapped on and I think just kind of lost track of it. So we're monitoring okay. con continuously sort of that last stretch. I remember you telling me my baby's heart rate stayed amazing the whole time. Yeah, there was no concerns. Um, what do you do? Or is there anything you need to do to prepare for the baby's arrival at the end? Who are you asking? You, medically. <laughs> is there anything I need to do? Yeah, what are you doing during that time? I mean, she's progressing and her, her labor is getting stronger, more intense, and more productive, it sounds like. Um, but you both said it was a hard labor. Like, what, what, what do you, how do you define that? Is it because it was so fast, or is it? I'd be a pain no, ju just uh, you know, she she seemed like she was being pushed to her limit, mm -hmm. um, and but you know, you see you see that in a lot of labors, and, and you know, I've had this experience so many times where like the mom thinks she's just gotten, she just cannot handle another minute, and. And right when you get to that point, you sort of move to the next Something phase changes. and you're making progress and mm. things change. And um, I, so I think that's kind of a common experience. Um, it's interesting. We had to... But I, it's just a subjective thing. You know, some people just look like they're, they're, they're just having a harder labor. And, you know, this just seemed like a hard labor to me. Uh, Britta Bushnell was on our pod podcast on the episode called Mythologies, Metaphors, and Childbirth. And one thing she describes childbirth-like is whitewater rafting, where sometimes even just 10 minutes into a five-hour rafting trip, there's incredible rapids that are so intense, and it's scary, and it's and you're working hard, and, and um, your heart is beating really quickly, and you're like, wow, this is only 10 minutes into it. When I'm an hour into it, I'm not going to be able to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. But 15 minutes after that, it could be the most relaxed and peaceful, placid part of the, the river. And then it could get more intense or less intense later. And I think it's accurate. Labor is sometimes like that. It feels so intense, like you can't take it. If you're at four centimeters and it's this intense, how are you ever going to take eight? Mm -hmm. But eight could actually be kind of amazing and, and more relaxed. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> But it could be. It was intense, but that ex there was the, there were those thoughts of how am I gonna? I need to know how many more times I have to have these contractions. I have to know because I, if I have a number that I could reach like a goal, but not knowing and feeling this intensity. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But you never can. Nobody can ever tell you how much. Longer. No, of course not. So it's not you know it's not logical in the moment. It's just um, grasping for something, and being tired too. I was. I was exhausted. And I hear of these people who have these 42-hour labors or these 36-hour labors. Mine was 12. and <laughs> Well, but you also already had a kid, uh, a toddler. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well you were sleeping in those last two weeks, uh, 40, week 41 and week 42. Well, I, I remember I called you. I couldn't – I could barely walk. I remember that. that. That pelvic pressure was so intense, so intense. The day before I went into labor, I was – Walking, I was walking on my knees at night because I, I couldn't stand. It was intense. How do you know when you're getting close? Did you know on your own? Every day I thought, oh, no, this no, is I'm in, in labor. Oh, like, in labor? Yeah. Getting close to that, needing to push, you mean? Yeah. I guess I didn't know that either because um, it was suggested to me by the doula and the nurse to start pushing, try pushing. And I didn't feel like I was quite ready. So um, how did it finally happen? What was interesting, I had read about this. I had like a this weird – it happened like three times of boom, boom, boom where like I felt like my uterus was pushing the baby out and I wasn't pushing. Ooh, people talk about that. Yeah. Like your body is pushing the baby yeah, out. Yeah, and it only happened once. And I feel like if I hadn't – you know, I wonder if if – there wasn't the pressure to forcefully push if I would have experienced more of those. It was very, very weird and not as painful as pushing. It was very weird. It like jolted me. Interesting. Very cool. So first you tried to push and it didn't feel right, but then you kind of felt your body pushing on its My own? My body did that once and then the pushing and with Dr. Chavez, like he kind of coached me a little on the kind of breath he was looking for, mm -hmm. um, I was able to connect. Because before when I tried, when it was suggested to push, I was trying to push and it felt almost more painful. Like um, like it was going against, it just 
I can't explain it. It was like it didn't feel right to you. Something wasn't right. Yeah, something wasn't right. Uh, and then, so the second time, it did feel like things were more. I felt like I could. I felt like the push, the pushing I was doing, I could feel like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like, because it felt like maybe I was moving my baby down. Whereas Productive. before, I was pushing, and it felt like I was moving the baby back up. You know, it was. It sort of sounds like you're saying at first you were pushing, you just felt resistance, like yeah. it wasn't going to go. But then you now you're pushing and you feel it's productive. Yeah. And there's something about just the – I felt like I was using the correct muscles and method, whereas before I felt like I was, yeah, coming up against something. It was not feeling right. How long did you push for? It was a little over an hour, I think, mm-hmm. as I remember. Is that typical? Yeah. You're typical. You know, <laughs> um, at, in, in no way is Heather typical. <laughs> um, you know, true. my – my recollection. So, first of all, my recollection of this whole thing it, it's so, this is just such a beautiful memory for me. Going through this, this, this journey with Heather, with Heather, and the childbirth was very similar to the 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 breach journey, the last weeks of pregnancy, in the sense that um, I think maybe a lot of times women will go through their journey and not necessarily share with me explicitly what their concerns are and sort of the the mental and emotional process they have to go through. But Heather was very open with me every step along the way about all these things. So we had we had multiple long conversations every step of the way about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about VBAC. We talked about breach. We came back to that topic many, many times. We talked about the choice of hospital. We talked about uh, your age. Mm-hmm. How that impacted things, that was a long conversation. And then as we started passing the due date, we started talking about what does this mean? What is, you know, the fact that we're passing the due date? And so all of her, you know, her her concerns and her questions, we were just, it, I really felt like I kind of went through this whole thing with her. And I knew exactly what she was thinking. I knew exactly what she was w- worried about. I knew exactly what her concerns were. And I could also see her... You know, as I'm giving her more and more information, it's kind of starting to all gel mm-hmm. where she's like, okay, I got it. I, I understand. And and she, it was almost like she had to understand all of this as well as I do. And then, you know, she got to that point and, and then the birth itself was kind of like that. Like I remember, you know, you, you started to struggle and then she calls my name. And so we start, you know, talking verbally back and forth. And it was almost, um, you know, uh, I, I know she wanted to know how long was remaining, and I couldn't really answer that question. But what I could tell her was all of the signs of progress that she was showing me and that she was doing magnificently and that everything that she was doing was perfect. So I just kind of kept sending that back to her, like, just keep going. What you're doing is working. I see the baby coming. And so, I mean, for me, I just feel like, we went through every single step of, of this process together, and it was incredible. It's amazing. Mm. I have a question for both of you. For you, Heather, when you're pushing, is it is any part of that feel relieving to you, or different than the labor part where you couldn't do anything? I thought the the, the contractions were harder than than the pushing. I mean, than the I I was concerned about like that the baby coming through was really going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the contractions, if I had to pick, the contractions hurt more than that baby actually going through. So the final stages were were better for you than getting to 10 centimeters, laboring up to 10 centimeters. Yeah. Which is what a lot of people say. Yeah. Um, Doc, when, when an hour of pushing is happening and there is progress coming, but it's a breech baby, because normally we see that little head come out and it gets a little closer, then it goes back in, comes out. Is all that happening now with just the baby's bottom? Yep. And his balls. His, oh, did you come in ball first? Did he come? <laughs> yeah. My husband is that the said, first thing that came out? My husband said his Frank and beans. Well, the, <laughs> the, the bum and then, you know, the testicles and then the penis come out. Yeah. I wish I could have seen it. <laughs> Uh, I I have another patient like that. Um, I could probably get the footage for you because that's how hers came out also. Uh, yeah. That's her doula. So um, – and then what comes out? So do the legs 
the legs are kind of folded up. You were Frank Breach at the end, mm-hmm. right? So the legs are folded up towards the head. Right. Um, do they come out on their own? Um, about 70% of the time they do. So your your task when you're attending a breech birth is to watch very carefully and see that the baby is doing everything that he or she needs to do to pass through the birth canal. And they follow a very specific order of steps, and you can watch that. Mm-hmm. So first, they drop one little butt cheek down into the <laughs> uh, into mom's pelvis. So you'll actually see one... Uh, butt cheek come out first, and it's the anterior one. Um, and the babies are usually facing sideways. So the the baby's back is going to be on one side of the mom, and the legs are going to be on the other side. Then everything starts descending and coming out, and you're just seeing the baby's body and legs, but the legs are pressed up against the belly and the chest, if you can picture that. Mm-hmm. And um, so as is happening, the baby starts to rotate so that well, in England, they say, um, they say, uh, tum to bum. So the baby's belly is turning in the direction of mom's butt. Oh, I see. So the legs, which were normally, fa- which were initially facing sideways, start rotating toward mom's back. Now, since you're standing behind mom, they're turning towards your face. So now you're looking straight at baby's legs. Are you on your back? She's on her hands and knees. Oh, and hands I'm and standing knees. behind her. Gotcha. So you see the, the, the legs descend, and basically the baby's body and legs and everything drops down till really only the feet are left inside the vagina, and then the knees kind of fold and the legs come out. So the baby really delivers his own legs. I have not touched the baby yet. Oh, wow. The next thing that happens, the baby will do a little tummy crunch. So you'll see the legs lift up into midair, and, and what the baby's doing... You know those um, those those crunch machines in the gym where you you kind of like you hold these bars oh, yeah. by the head and you have your these bars on your ankles and you have to do a little crunch. So the baby really does that, and what it's doing is it's pulling its arms down huh. and it's pulling um, its head down. So you look for arms the arms and hands are, are, are they're are still, still inside. inside, right? You also take a look at the baby's chest, and what you'll see if the baby's arms are in front of the head, which is you really hope that's the case, as opposed to the arms wrapped around behind the head, which is going to make the birth more complicated. If the baby's arms are in front of the head, you see this crease in the middle of the chest. Mm. And that's that tells you that the, the arms are in the right position. You, you expect the arms to come out in the next few seconds. Okay. So you'll see the tummy crunch, and then usually a few seconds later, you'll just see an elbow come out, and the baby pulls its arm out, and then it pulls its other arm out, and it does this all itself. Uh, so once the arms are out, the next sign you're looking for is that the head needs to flex, so meaning the chin, the baby pulls its chin down to its own chest, uh, and that pulls the head through the birth canal. And you can actually see this by looking at mom's body. It's, I mean, it's that, the face is actually right behind the mom's rectum. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see it actually bulge out towards you. So if the rectum is kind of receded and, and mom's butt cheeks are touching each other, you know the head has not flexed and it's not inside the pelvis. And that's a problem that you're going to need to deal with. Mm-hmm. But if you've seen mom's you know, glutea separating and the rectum is coming forward, then you know the head's moving that there. the head is flexed. Wow. So these are all the signs that you're watching for. And if the baby's following all these steps, you literally do nothing. You just sit there and you watch and you allow the birth to happen. And at a certain point in time, if something is not right, the baby's not in the right position, the baby's not rotating the right way, the baby's not doing the things it's supposed to, to do, then you step in and you ba- you basically recreate the natural movements that it's supposed to do. So you you, you help the baby along. Mm-hmm. But in Heather's case, you know they were they were working together and they really um, did everything until at the very last minute. I helped with some of the head flexion, but you know it was fair, fairly minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then baby was out. And baby was out. Mm-hmm. And you you got, I assume, immediate uh, contact. Mm-hmm. Unlike last time. Yeah. Um, how'd you feel right after your baby came out? Oh, I first remember pushing the head, and I was like, "Okay, Heather, just go dark. You're just you're not going to tense up. Push that head out because there's, you know, that's what I wanted to make sure came out safely." And then once I heard he was out, I remember crawling as fast as I could to flip over so I could hold him. And uh, yeah, I got to hold him, and he was so little, and it was really good to hold him. Yeah, 
That's really good. Just briefly, I mean, how would you compare the two experiences? Because with your first one, you you said you were very present. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, this is almost five months later, going the the whole labor itself or or not labor, the 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 C section, the labor, those were both hard. They were both hard in different ways. The end result, so in the first C section, I, I did not get to hold her immediately. I heard her crying for it, it felt like forever, but it was probably around twenty minutes, which is forever. Sure. And um Getting to hold my son immediately, that was – that's probably the most important part of my whole experience actually when I when I look back. I mean the vaginal birth was so important, doing it natural. And that is still – I'm proud that I did it. But the end result is what's most important. That immediate bonding. That immediate – and I, I did immediately bond with my daughter. Once she was on me, there was no interruption of that. But I just remember it was agonizing – not holding her right away. I, it was – I don't think any mom should have to go through that if they, if it's not necessary. And uh, Did your little guy have hip dysplasia? No. Right. Because your daughter did. No, not hip dysplasia. They both have torticollis. Oh, she didn't have hip dysplasia? Mm-mm, oh, no. Okay, she had tor- she, she torticollis. She was head down and he was head up and both have the exact same spot, torticollis. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They must be eating tacos in the uh <laughs> in the uterus. <laughs> they got taco neck. Um any final thoughts from either of you guys? I mean I just I'm just very grateful that, you know, that I got to do something that I'm telling you, everyone except Dr. Shavera, except for you, Dr. Bowen, everyone would grimace would would say that's dangerous. Um, even even the VBAC part, I had a nurse come in and say at at the other hospital, I had a nurse come in after you had left, and she said, "How how far apart are your two children?" And when I said they'll be eighteen months, you know, apart, and she said that's really dangerous. That doing the vaginal birth. Uh, when I had an ultrasound and I was, you know, forty one weeks, the the person doing the ultrasound, I just could see her face like making that. Ooh, when was your due date? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and and then forget about saying you're going to do a breech vaginal. It was you know, but um, Doctor Doctor Chavira said, "I'll never forget this. I have no doubt about you." And that was uh, hearing someone say that when there's so much doubt is um, very, very powerful. So I'll never forget that. You know, when you said, I have 100% faith in you, I have no doubt that this is going to be a successful uh, birth. I mean, I I love to watch somebody find their options, explore their options, and make a decision together with their providers. So, it, you know, I don't, have, I don't have a choice for you. Even when we talked last time, if I was in your same exact shoes and my wife was saying, what should we do? I don't know what I would have picked. Yeah. It's it's just a it's just such a personal choice. But I know. um, you know, I think a lot of women who just had a, a cesarean and want to have a vaginal birth don't have that choice. I think a lot of women who have a breech baby and want to deliver vaginally don't have that choice. A lot of women who go past their due date or all the way up to forty two weeks don't have that choice. Um a lot of women get aged out now from vaginal birth and wouldn't have had that choice. And even I have to throw one more at you. Uh, I have a young cousin who had her third baby. The baby was breached. They were going to schedule a C-section, and I wanted to share my experience with her. And she had no um, no desire at all. She said, no, that's dangerous. Why would I do that? And and to her, finding out more was not important. So for her, it was fine to do the C-section, and she, and she had no interest in I think that's okay too. Yeah. It's just everybody gets to have their choice. Uh, yeah. My ultimate goal with informed pregnancy is that you get to have the information and you get to make a choice on any of those 
things that we just talked about, those scenarios, there's always the choice to have the cesarean birth. That's yeah. never dep- taken away from people. Yeah. It's just the choice to have the vaginal birth is somehow becoming less and less available to more and more categories of people. So I'm I'm also grateful for to Dr. Shapiro that um, when patients like Heather come through the office, um, uh, much even with much fewer factors going on, just to be able to say, hey, you know, if you want the option, well, you know, Dr. Shiri would, you should just talk to him and do a little consult. And they always feel better afterwards. I get emails almost at least once a week from someone who says, even we just, I think we got one today. I don't know if you got it too. I think you were copied on it too, where she said uh, we had our, our abdominal birth and she had talk to you about potentially doing the breach vaginally, but then she listened to the gentle cesarean episode and they, they incorporated all those principles and she had a, a really great cesarean birth experience. Um, so it's just about the choice. It's just about the choice. And so I'm really grateful that we have you as a resource and that you're not about to retire like some of the other resources <laughs> who we have. So there's hope for the future. Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I, um, I just feel really, um, blessed that um, that Heather sought me out and that she chose me and that you know we had the opportunity to do this together a lot of a lot of modern obstetrics is about identifying the remote risk of something that may happen and then running away in the opposite direction you know to avoid that risk and what you lose in 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 that type of approach is the opportunity to achieve something amazing and you know i th- and i think um you know that's what that's what heather did and um you know to been to have been uh you know f- f- i for me this was easy all i had to do was talk <laughs> you know uh heather was the one that really had to go through all of this and i i i kind of felt like just to be able to accompany her through that uh, you know for me it was just really an incredible experience to watch her grow into this decision to where she then she knew exactly what she was going to do and um I, to me it was just amazing and I'm so you know thankful I got to be a part of it and thank you to you Dr. Berlin for referring yeah my part was even easier I didn't even <laughs> have to talk um, well, you both inspire me. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, at home, thanks for listening. If you have thoughts or comments, share them with us. You can write to info at informedpregnancy.com or your own experiences. We'd love to hear about them. Uh, you can also visit us to find more information about pregnancy, childbirth, and early parenting at informedpregnancy.com. Kids gonna test my will I got a lot to learn And my brain